Welcome. My name is Nancy Porter, and again, I'm happy to share with you articles from Time Magazine. And this session will be finishing up articles from the January 30th, February 6th, 2023 issue of Time. I need to remind you that materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers, and absolutely no unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. This article is from the Davos viewpoint, and its title is We Hold the Pen of History by Christiana Figueres. She is co-host of the climate podcast Outrage and Optimism and the former executive secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. More than at any other time in the history of human presence on this planet, we are now deciding what our own futures will be. Since the last ice age some 12,000 years ago, humans have been able to develop civilization as we know it, thanks to the stability of the Earth's interconnected ecosystems, which cradled life and supported our expansion. During this era, the Holocene, humans flourished, but nature reigned. We were the thriving recipients of a favorable environment unique in the history of the planet. But around 1950, the situation changed. We moved from being the passive recipients to being the direct driving force behind transformation in our national environment. And not for the better. We now exercise such control over the planet that we have catapulted it and ourselves into a new geological era known as the Anthropocene, the human-shaped epoch in which the pen of history has been passed from nature to humanity, and we are the ones determining what will be written. In just 70 short years, we collectively ignored all the scientific warnings about the dangers that would ensue. Decades of extraction and overconsumption, the accumulation of great wealth in small pockets of society, and general disregard for our role as guardians of the global commons have altered the Earth's atmosphere, land, and oceans so substantially that we are literally living ourselves out of our life-providing environment. This is the most perilous moment in human history. That is the clear message from the latest scientific reports, which are categorical in warning us of looming radical changes in the Earth's systems that have so far been keeping us safe. Our planet will, of course, continue on her evolutionary path, started four and a half billion years ago. But the human effects of those tipping points would render many parts of our globe uninhabitable to the human race with all the attending economic, social, health, political, and security consequences. The resulting turbulence would be unprecedented and irreversible. Facing this stark reality with our eyes wide open, we must make an immediate choice. Most of us can feel deep in our bones the transformational change is needed and science has made abundantly clear what it must entail. To protect ourselves, we have to protect 1.5 degrees centigrade as our maximum global average temperature increase. 
That means we have to make two things happen this decade. First, we have to cut our global greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. And second, we have to safeguard all remaining healthy ecosystems, regenerating those we have already depleted. If we don't meet this dual challenge, we basically condemn ourselves and our descendants to a world of ever-increasing climate chaos, spiraling destruction, and deepening human mystery. However, if we do choose to cut our emissions by half by the year 2030, which is technically entirely feasible, and act decisively to protect nature, we open the portal to a world that not only averts the worst of climate change, but is actually a much better one than we have, a, have right now, with better public health, more livable cities, more official transport, and more productive land. Without doubt, we are in the decisive decade. We must be guided by the firm conviction that humans can meet this challenge. We must change the unfolding story of the Anthropocene from one of overconsumption, inequality, and destruction to one of repair, regeneration, and reconnection against all apparent odds. We must constantly remind ourselves that we are holding the pen. We must stand tall in our unwavering faith in human ingenuity and compassion, reminding ourselves of our individual and collective agency. Carving a better future does not happen on its own. We have to be intentional, purpose-driven, frankly downright stubborn about our objective. Only that determination will give us a fighting chance. All right, the next article from the same issue of Time magazine is titled, Russia's War Costs the Whole World. It is by Sergei Marchenko, who is Ukraine's finance minister. Russia's War Costs the Whole World. A year ago, Ukraine's economy was on a strong footing, with a debt-to-GDP of less than 50% and a budget deficit of 3.5%. Then came February 24th, and with it a full-scale war. We were in a new reality with very different financial needs. Funds that should have been directed toward environmental, social, and corporate government goals, sustainable development, and strengthening the country's competitiveness were redirected to defense, humanitarian purposes, and support for people affected by the war. And in 2023, about 50% of the state budget is allocated to national security and defense. Months of war had transformed Ukraine from a country with stable and promising financial indicators to one that is directing all resources to the struggle while battling severe economic consequences. A 30% economic decline, inflation around 28%, up to 8 million refugees, unemployment of about 30%, and hundreds of destroyed or damaged businesses and industries. Since the start of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine by the Russian Federation, 
We have been implementing measures for macroeconomic stabilization and accumulation of financial resources to defend our state. While business in Ukraine was practically paralyzed in the first month of the war, we've ensured that today just 10% of enterprises are non-functioning and our economic and financial systems are fully operational. The financial system has performed at full capacity since the invasion. Budget revenues have increased by 20% since April. We began issuing war bonds. All social expenditures, pensions, wages of teachers and health care workers, as well as the security and defense sector, have been financed. At the beginning of the Russian invasion, International partners verified our budget deficit at $5 billion per month for the rest of 2022. As of early December, we had received just over $28 billion out of that required $50 billion, and the National Bank of Ukraine had to print $12 billion more. In 2023, the state budget deficit of Ukraine will reach $38 billion. The constant massive missile attacks across Ukraine mean the reconstruction bill and economic losses will just keep growing in 2023. The support of international partners will play a crucial role in how we get through the 2023 budget year. We welcome the U.S. intention to continue providing grants to Ukraine as well as the European Commission's proposal to launch a new full-scale macrofinancial assistance program for Ukraine in 2023. But, as the war drags on, this is not enough. Large economies and international financial institutions need to find new tools and solutions, and not just for Ukraine. When a country finds itself under attack, it needs fully engaged and constant cooperation. Learning from the experience of military aid coordination at Ramstein Air Base in Germany and to coordinate financial support to Ukraine and address immediate financial needs, Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky and Prime Minister Denis Shmailhau have proposed a new financial coordination platform. The idea of developing this platform is to bring G7 member countries and international financial institutions to the table on a regular basis to facilitate information sharing on key developments and projections, as well as ensure timely and efficient channeling of the financial assistance from various donors. This kind of cooperation will help to make disbursement more efficient. With Ukraine as co-chair, the platform could develop effective and sustainable mechanisms to coordinate financial support for Ukraine, as well as a valuable model for other nations to use in the future. Russia's war doesn't just affect Ukraine's economy. The economic consequences have been global. Many countries are facing the highest inflation in decades, huge energy costs, and threats of recessions. Food security and energy crises will bring many more deaths and more suffering around the world. We must work more closely toward a solution for all.
All right, the next article from Davos Technology Sector is called Machine Learning. It is by Billy Parijo in London and also contains reporting by Mariah Espada and Sosiri Berga. Dennis Hassabas stands halfway up a spiral staircase, surveying the cathedral he built. Behind him, light glints off the rungs of a golden helix, rising up through the staircase's airy well. The DNA sculpture, spanning three floors, is the centerpiece of Deep Mind's recently opened London headquarters. It's an artistic representation of the code embedded in the nucleus of nearly every cell in the human body. Although we work on making machines smart, we wanted to keep humanity at the center of what we're doing here, Hasabas, Deep Mind CEO and co-founder, tells Time magazine. This building, he says, is a cathedral to knowledge. Each meeting room is named after a famous scientist or philosopher. I've always thought of Deep Mind as an ode to intelligence, he said. Hassabas, age 46, has always been obsessed with intelligence, what it is, the possibilities it unlocks, and how to acquire more of it. He was the second best chess player in the world for his age when he was 12 and he graduated from high school a year early. As an adult, he strikes a somewhat diminutive figure, but his intellectual presence fills the room. I want to understand the big questions, the really big ones that you normally go into philosophy or physics if you're interested in, he says. I thought building artificial intelligence would be the fastest route to answer some of those questions. DeepMind, a subsidiary of Google's parent company, Alphabet, is one of the world's leading artificial intelligence labs. Last summer, it announced that one of its algorithms, AlphaFold, had predicted the 3D structures of nearly all the proteins known to humanity, and that the company was making the technology behind it freely available. Scientists had long been familiar with the sequences of amino acids that make up proteins, the building blocks of life, but had never cracked how they fold up into the complex 3D shapes so crucial to their behavior in the human body. AlphaFold has already been a force of multiplier for hundreds of thousands of scientists working on efforts such as developing malaria vaccines, fighting antibiotic resistance, and tackling plastic pollution, the company says. Now, DeepMind is applying similar machine learning techniques to the puzzle of nuclear fusion, hoping it helps yield an abundant source of cheap, zero-carbon energy that could wean the global economy off fossil fuels at a critical juncture in the climate crisis. Hasaba says these efforts are just the beginning. He and his colleagues have been working toward a much grander ambition, creating artificial general intelligence, or AGI, by building machines that can think, learn, and be set to solve humanity's toughest problems. 
Today's artificial intelligence is narrow, brittle, and often not very intelligent at all. But AGI, artificial general intelligence, Hassabis believes, will be an epic-defining technology. But AGI, artificial general intelligence, Hassabis believes, will be an epic-defining technology, like the harnessing of electricity, that will change the very fabric of human life. If he's right, it could earn him an important place in history. But with artificial intelligence's promise also comes peril. In recent months, researchers building an AI system to design new drugs revealed that their tool could easily be repurposed to make deadly new chemicals. A separate artificial intelligence model trained to spew out toxic hate speech went viral, exemplifying the risk to vulnerable communities online. And inside AI labs around the world, policy experts have grappled with near-term in questions like what to do when an AI has the potential to be commandeered by rogue states to mount widespread hacking campaigns or interfere state-level nuclear secrets. In December of 2022, ChatGPD, a chatbot designed by OpenAI, went viral for its ability to write almost like a human, but faced criticism for its susceptibility to racism and misinformation. And the tiny company Prisma Labs went viral for its Lensa apps, AI-enhanced selfies. Many users complained Lensa sexualized their images, revealing biases in its training data. What was once a field of a few deep-pocketed tech companies is becoming increasingly accessible. As computing power becomes cheaper and AI techniques become better known, you no longer need a high-walled cathedral to perform cutting-edge research. It is in this uncertain climate that Hassabis agrees to a rare interview to issue a stark warning about his growing concerns. I would advocate not moving fast and breaking things, he says, referring to an old Facebook motto that encouraged engineers to release their technologies first and fix problems that arose later. The phrase has since become synonymous with disruption. That culture, subsequently emulated by a generation of startups, helped Facebook rocket to 3 billion users. But it also left the company entirely unprepared when disinformation, hate speech, and even incitement to genocide began appearing on its platform. Hassaba sees a similarly worrying trend developing with AI. He says AI is now on the cusp of being able to make tools that could deeply damage human civilization and urges his competitors to proceed with more caution than ever before. When it comes to very powerful technologies, and obviously AI is going to be one of the most powerful ever,
We need to be extremely careful, he says. Not everybody is thinking about those things. It's like experimentalists, many of whom don't realize that they're holding dangerous material. Worse still, Hassabas points out, we are the guinea pigs. Hassabas was just 15 years old when he walked into the Bullfrog video game studios in Guildford, just southwest of London. A gaming obsessive, he had entered a competition in a video game magazine to win an internship at the prestigious studio. His program, called A Space Invaders-style game, where players shot at chess pieces descending from the top of the screen, came in second place. He had to settle for a week's work experience. Peter Molyneux, Bullfrog's co-founder, still remembers first seeing Hassabas. This little slender kid came in, who you would probably just walk past in the street and not even notice. But there was a sparkle in his eyes, the sparkle of intelligence. In a chance conversation on the bus to Bullfrog's Christmas party, the teenager captivated Molyneux. The whole of the journey there and the whole of the journey back was the most intellectually stimulating conversation, he recalls. They talked about the philosophy of games, what it is about the human psyche that makes winning so appealing, and whether you could imbue those same traits into a machine. All the time I'm thinking, this is just the 15-year-old kid. He knew then that this youngster was designed for great things. After graduating from Cambridge University, Hassabas returned to Bullfrog to help Molyneux build his most popular game to date, titled Theme Park, a simulation game giving the player a god's eye view of an expanding fairground business. Hassabas went on to establish his own game company before later deciding to study for a PhD in neuroscience. He wanted to understand the algorithmic level of the brain not the intersections and the interactions between microscopic neurons, but the larger architectures that seem to give rise to humanity's powerful intelligence. The mind is the most intriguing object in the universe, Hassabas says. He was trying to understand how it worked in preparation for his life's quest. Without understanding that I had in mind AI the whole time, it looks like a random path, Hasaba says, of his career trajectory. Chess, video games, neuroscience. But I used every single scrap of that experience. By 2013, when DeepMind was three years old, Google came knocking. A team of Google executives flew to London in a private jet, and Hasabas wowed them by showing them a prototype AI his team had taught to play the computer game titled Breakout. DeepMind's signature technique behind the algorithm, reinforcement learning, was something Google was not doing at the time. It was inspired by how the human brain learns, an understanding Hassabas had developed during his time as a neuroscientist. The AI would play the game millions of times, and was rewarded every time it scored some points. 
through a process of points-based reinforcement, it would learn the optimum strategy. Hassabas and his colleagues fervently believed in training AI in game environments, and the dividends of a, the approach impressed the Google executives. I loved them immediately, Alan Eustachy, a former senior vice president at Google. Hassabas' force, excuse me, let's start that over again. Hassabas' focus on the dangers was evidence from his first conversation with Eustace. He was thoughtful enough to understand that the technology had long-term societal implications, and he wanted to understand those before the technology was invented, not after the technology was deployed, Eustace says. It's like chess. What's the end game? How is it going to develop? Not just two steps ahead, but 20 steps ahead. Eustace assured Hassabas that Google shared those concerns and that DeepMind's interests were aligned with his own. Google's mission, Eustace said, was to index all of humanity's knowledge, make it accessible, and ultimately raise the IQ of the world. I think that resonated, he said. The following year, Google acquired DeepMind for some $500 million. Hassabas turned down a bigger offer from Facebook. One reason, he says, was that unlike Facebook, Google was very happy to accept DeepMind's ethical red lines as part of the acquisition. There were reports at the time that Google agreed to set up an independent ethics board to ensure these lines were not crossed. In 2016, DeepMind won its first major coup. One of its algorithms beat one of the world's best players of Go, an ancient Chinese board game far more complex than chess. Forecasters had not expected the milestone to be passed for a decade. It was a vindication of Hassabas' bitch to Google that the best way to push the frontier of artificial intelligence was to focus on reinforcement learning in game environments. But just as DeepMind was scaling new heights, things were beginning to get complicated. In 2015, two of its earliest investors, billionaires Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, symbolically turned their backs on DeepMind by funding rival startup OpenAI. That lab, subsequently bankrolled by $1 billion from Microsoft, also believed in the possibility of AGI, but it had a very different philosophy for how to get there. It wasn't as interested in games. Much of its research focused not on reinforcement learning, but on unsupervised learning, which involves scraping vast quantities of data from the internet and pumping it through neural networks. As computers became more powerful and data more abundant, those techniques appeared to be making huge strides in capability. While DeepMind, Google, and other AI labs had been working on similar research behind closed doors, OpenAI was more willing to let the public use its tools. In late 22, it launched DALL-E2, which can generate an image of almost any search term imaginable. 
and the chat box ChatGPT. Because both of these tools were trained on data scraped from the Internet, they were plagued by structural biases and inaccuracies. D-A-L-L-E-2 is likely to illustrate lawyers as old white men and flight attendants as young beautiful women. While ChatGPT is prone to confident assertions of false information. In the wrong hands, a 2021 DeepMind research paper says, language generation tools like ChatGPT could turbocharge the spread of disinformation, facilitate government censorship or surveillance, and perpetuate harmful stereotypes under the guise of objectivity. OpenAI acknowledges its apps have limitations, although, including biases, but says that it's working to minimize them and that its mission is to build safe AGI to benefit humanity. Despite Hassabas' call for the AI race to slow down, it appears he may have other blind spots that could lead to unsafe applications of the technology. He wants the world to see DeepMind as a standard bearer of safe and ethical AI research, leading by example in a field full of others focused on speed. DeepMind has published red lines against unethical uses of its technology, including surveillance and weaponry. But neither company has publicly shared what legal power DeepMind has to prevent Alphabet a surveillance empire that has dabbled in Pentagon contracts, from pursuing those goals with the AI DeepMind builds. In 2021, Alphabet ended years-long talk with DeepMind about the subsidiary setting up an independent legal structure that would prevent its AI being controlled by a single corporate entity, the Wall Street Journal reported. Hassabas doesn't deny DeepMind made these attempts, but downplays any suggestion that he is concerned about the current structure being unsafe. When asked to confirm or deny whether the Independent Ethics Board, rumored to have been set up as part of the Google acquisition, actually exists, he can't, because it's all confidential. But he adds that DeepMind's ethics structure has evolved since the acquisition into the structures that we have now. Hassaba says both DeepMind and Alphabet have committed to public ethical frameworks and built safety into their tools from the very beginning. DeepMind has its own internal ethics board, the Institutional Review Committee, with representatives from all areas of the company, chaired by its chief operating officer, Lila Ibrahim. The IRC meets regularly, Ibrahim says, and any disagreements are escalated to Deep Mind's executive leaders for a final decision. We operate with a lot of freedom, she says. We have a separate review process. We have our own internal ethics review committee. We collaborate on best practices and learnings. When asked what happens if Deep Mind's leadership team disagrees with alphabets or if its red lines are crossed, Ibrahim only said, Fortunately, we haven't had that issue yet. One of Hassabas' favorite games right now is a strategy game called Politopia. 
The aim is to grow a small village into a world-dominating empire through gradual technological advances. While Asabas' worldview is much more nuanced and cautious, it's easy to see why the game's ethos resonates with him. He still appears to believe that technology advancement is inherently good for humanity, and that under capitalism, it's possible to predict and mitigate artificial intelligence's risks. Advances in science and technology, that's what drives civilization, he says. Hassabis believes the wealth from artificial intelligence should be redistributed. I think we need to make sure the benefits accrue to as many people as possible, to all of humanity, ideally. He likes the ideas of universal basic income, under which every citizen is given a monthly stipend from the government, and universal basic services, where the state pays for basic living standards like transportation or housing. He says an AGI-driven future should be more economically equal than today's world. But he never explains how that system would work. If you're in a world of racial abundance, there should be less room for that inequality and fewer ways that could come about. So that's one of the positive consequences of the AGI vision, if it ever gets realized. Others are less optimistic that this utopian future will come to pass given that the past several decades of growth in the tech industry have coincided with huge increases in wealth inequality. Major corporations, including the major corporation that owns DeepMind, have to ensure they maximize value to shareholders, are not focused really on addressing the climate crisis unless there's a profit in it, and are certainly not interested in redistributing wealth when the whole goal of the company is to accumulate further wealth and distribute it to its shareholders, says Paris Marx, host of the podcast Tech Won't Save Us. Not recognizing those things is really failing to to fully consider the potential impacts of the technology. Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta were among the 20 corporations that spent the most money lobbying U.S. lawmakers in 2022, according to transparency watchdog Open Secrets. What we lack is not the technology to address the climate crisis or to redistribute wealth, Mark says. It is the political will. Back at DeepMind's spiral staircase, an employee explains that the DNA sculpture is designed to rotate, but today the motor is broken. Closer inspection shows some of the rungs of the helix are askew. At the bottom of the staircase, there's a notice on a wooden stool in front of this giant metaphor for humanity. Please don't touch, it reads. It's very fragile and could easily be damaged. All right, that's our coverage of Time Magazine of January 30th to February 6th, 2023. And again, I remind you that the you have been listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired, that all materials read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication 
is permitted. I'm Nancy Porter, and it has been my pleasure to share Time Magazine with you.